This is the Wheel of Time podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about Wheel of Time, Episode 6, The Flame of Tarvalon. What's wrong? I found the dragon. The girl from the two rivers? Perhaps. It's complicated. I found five potential dragons in the same village. Five? But only four the right age. And I need to hold. But how can we discount her power? I don't know. Every town has a different legend about where the dragon will be reborn, how they will appear to us, and the way in which they'll break or save the world. Our prophecies are clear. They're 3,000-year-old prophecies. They've been translated again and again by hundreds of different eyes today. From a gleeman, I heard the tale of a many-headed dragon. The last dragon was one man. Why would the wheels bit the dragon soul into many? Fellow Wheelies, this is our Wheel of Time podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We are on the sixth episode of The Wheel of Time, talking about the flame of Tarvalon. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Wheelies. I am one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out this trio of potential Dragon Reborns, I am Chris. Excellent. Back with another podcast, uh, the second one of uh, of the week this week, uh, talking about yeah. the Wheel of Time um, after our Hawkeye podcast. Um, and we're almost at the end of both series at the moment. I know. Back at it like a bad habit. Yeah. It's mad to think we have two more episodes of Wheel of Time to go and just two more episodes of Hawkeye to go as well. Yes, to round out the year. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, uh, the, the, the end of the year is fast approaching. Yes. Please stop. I want to slow down. <laughs> I slightly too much to do between now and New Year's. Yes, yes I know. I know exactly. people are arranging meetings and work and going, um, you know, that like half the company you're on holiday from like next week. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's lots of fun. And we've still got lots to cover uh, on those four episodes we're covering before the end of the year. Uh, thanks to all of our fellow wheelies who've been uh, who've been. Uh, sending me their well wishes uh, after my voice was gone last week. So uh, great to say I'm. Not feeling as bad, and my voice is back now, which is good. So back to normal. Okay. It is good. It's so good. We actually let him take the lead today, exactly. you know, because otherwise we're just going to like keep putting him in the closet. I was laughing last week. I said I wasn't going to talk very much, and then Chris went. So, what do you think of the entire show so far, Derek? Go. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I am going to talk today, and hopefully that means I won't talk much. Uh, thanks so much to all of our fellow Willies for joining us for the podcast for uh, this show. But if you do want to subscribe to all of our podcast coverage, you can go and see and find us on TVPodcastIndustries.com. Loads of ways to subscribe over there. Uh, you can just search TV Podcast Industries as well on any of your favorite podcast players we should be on any of them if we're not let me know you can let me know by emailing me to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com where you can share any thoughts on the series that we're covering as well and you can also come over to our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tv podcast industries where you can share your thoughts about each of the episodes that we're covering uh, i put up a spoiler post before the episodes go out so you can share spoiler filled thoughts with all of your fellow wheelies and if you would like to support us as a a nice end of your gift you can head on over to patreon.com slash tv podcast industries where for just a single solitary wheel of time tarvalon dollar 
I'm going to see what the US dollar is <laughs> there. I don't think they're connected to the Gold US Gold dollar. How hey, there you go. You can support us there. Or, don't forget, you can also head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI, where for a single one-off support donation. Yeah. Fort Knox will be on to uh, the Ace Eye just to make sure <laughs> that their inflationary budget is all in order. If oh I my remember, god, we're getting into the Phantom Menace areas <laughs> exactly. here where the next season is just like budgetary infrastructure in Tarvalon. <laughs> and wasn't it just coppers? Isn't it? Yes, it is. It's called it coppers. Is. Yeah, for, coppers, for gold, silver. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Uh, we have added a new benefit over on our over on our Patreon as well. Uh, if you support us uh, at twelve dollars per month, you'll be able to get your hands on a TV podcast industries mug. Um, boop, boop. Yeah, I know. See that over there. Um, yeah. <laughs> So thanks to everybody that's been supporting us uh, over on Patreon and on Buy Me A Coffee and also all of those of you that have been supporting us by sharing the podcast and sending your feedback as well. Really love that kind of support too. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Let's get into our discussion about Wheel of Time, Episode 6, The Flame of Tarvalon. Uh, the showrunner for the show is Rayfield Judkins, based on the book series written by Robert Jordan. This episode was written by Justine Joelle Gilmer, an Australian writer who wrote episodes of TV shows like The with the 100 and Into the Badlands and got a big start to her career with two episodes of Home and Away. Excellent stuff. Yeah. Home and Away, the, we I, can reach day. Home so and Away and Neighbours have got a lot of good stuff to answer for. They have given us so much good stuff. They also have a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> but we'll we'll call it good because they definitely did give us Chris Hemsworth. So and like Kylie. Thor. They gave and us Kylie. Kylie, that is true. But mostly Kim Jason. Chris Hemsworth. Oh my god. <laughs> I should be so lucky not to remember that. Guy Pierce too. Guy Pierce. What? Oscar winning yeah. actor Guy yeah. Pierce, yeah. Oh wow. Uh, lots and lots of people came yeah. from uh, from Home and Away and Definitely. Uh, including Justine Joel Gilmer. So there you, stuff. Stuff. there you go. Love it. And interestingly, just just at a side here, from a writer writer's perspective, I was reading um, Russell T. Davis was talking about his career over the last 30 years and all the shows that he's been involved in. And he came from soap operas. He started out writing soap operas and he said it was the greatest training for him because soap operas, while not tended to be seen as the greatest drama, drama stories, they are written on a really short timeline and you have to pay attention to all of your characters. Um, so the training that you get from soap opera writing apparently is uh, second to none. Yeah, it's why well telenovelas yeah. are one of the biggest in the world. Yeah, like it's literally wham bam snap. Now they've done every story under the sun. Mm-hmm. My brother's times. sisters, my twins' brothers' uncles' ex, <laughs> and you're like, wait, wait, it, it it works out. I'll allow it. But you've got to love those shows, though. Uh, I do have fond memories of all those kind of shows um, at uni. Yeah, of course. Bold and the Beautiful, Dynasty. Days of Our Lives. Days of Our Lives. Well, yeah. Must have had access to many more American shows than I had at the time. I didn't watch any of them. <laughs> that was the college. He had Fair City. <laughs> Excellent. Great to have uh, Justine on board as the writer for this episode. The director of the episode was Sally Richardson Whitfield. Uh, she directed episode five as well. I did mention uh, the, her credits back in episode five, so I won't go to those again on this episode. But, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Wheel of Time, episode six, The Flame of Tarvalon? Sure. After a fishing trip with her father, a young girl named Shuan Sanche, and whose control of the One Power is getting stronger and stronger each day, must leave for Tarvalon after the destruction of her home. Many years later, the once young girl is now the Amelin Seat, who presides over the White Tower and the stronghold of the Aesid Eye. 
Before her are the Aes Sedai, Leandrin, Alana, and Moraine, and they must answer for their preemptive actions against the false dragon, and denying the Amelin seat its judgment. It is Moraine who must face the consequences of their actions and receive the punishment of the Amelin seat. As Moraine awaits her fate, her spy network has informed her of Rand and Matt's whereabouts. As Matt's condition deteriorates, Rand is concerned at the arrival of Moraine and Lan to the inn, believing that she will gentle Matt. But Moraine saves him, extracting the darkness from within him that he picked up from Shador Lagoth, locking it away in the ruby-hilted dagger. That evening, as the Amelin seat decides on Moraine's punishment, she is visited by Moraine, and the two friends and lovers decide together on the punishment that Moraine will herself receive banishment. The following day, with Egwene and Perrin safely at Tarvalon, Moraine introduces Egwene and Nynaeve to the most powerful woman in the world, Soran Sanche, who reveals their importance to destroying the still-weakened Dark One at the Eye of the World. At the White Tower, the Amelin Seat issues its judgement on Moraine. Banished from Tarvalon, Moraine meets up with Lan, the Two River Companions, and Loyal, at a waygate, an ancient way outside of space and time. Their destination is to the Eye of the World, where Moraine hopes to stop the Dark One with the help of her companions. But as the waygate begins to close behind them, one of the companions has chosen to remain behind. Excellent. Thanks, John. Properly on the big journey uh, now, before even the decision is made as to who's the dragon uh, in this episode. Um, I think this episode does introduce us to this big concept of the Amelin seat and what it is and, and who yeah. it is. And um, so let's start there with our with our spokes of the wheel. Let's start with our spoke number one, the Amelin seat and Moraine, and kind of talk about some of the machinations that are going on in the White Terror and uh, how the Amelin seat sits within this, if a seat can sit. It can. It is both in title and yes. an actual seat. Uh, I, I do like that. Uh, that Nynaeve points that out, doesn't she? Or Egwene points Egwene. that out. That, uh, that, isn't it a bit confusing to have the seat and the person sitting in it named the same thing? Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, but it's the Amelin seat. It's the Amelin seat. Amelin seat. Yeah. You see, that's perfectly reasonable. <laughs> I guess because it's a title for life, as Suan explains, um, that she will carry this this title forever for yes. her entire life, I guess it's not going to be that confusing because it's her seat. It's, it's the place that she sits. So, yeah. um, so let's talk, let's talk a little bit about this character. Daughter of Fisherman. Yeah. I really like that, that opening scene where we, where we have the introduction of her as a young girl, um, that she is going through the same kinds of things that all the people with, who, who are able to use powers and able to weave within this world seem to have gone through that the idea of the persecution that they have, the idea that they have to keep, the magic hidden from people that yeah. may not necessarily like magic users in their midst. Um, yep. I thought it was quite interesting. Um, the fact that she, her father's really worried about, uh, about her being caught. And rightly so. When they return home, the house has been burnt down and that little dragon tear symbol once again is, uh, is marking, is marked on the side of their, the um, dragon's fang. Dragon fang. The dragon's mark. The one. Yeah. Um, yes. The apostrophe. Yes, as that too. One. <laughs> the, the fat apostrophe. Yeah, yeah. It still hasn't been explained in the show, though. Um, so no, fairness, which is a bit it strange. Feels like it's something that does yeah. need to be explained on the show for people who haven't read the book, because I, that's why I confused it as Dragon's Tear, because we haven't heard any explanation for it at all. Just this symbol uh, that appears everywhere. Definitely, and considering uh, the young girl becomes the Amelin seat, and the only other times we've seen it is associated with 
goats massacred by um whether it was the trollocs or the fade or one of the other dark spawn or the blood coming out of the trolloc that Nynaeve um, mm. killed in the um, spiritual pool back at Two Rivers, where even the blood forms um, a fat apostrophe uh, <laughs> as it sort of spills out into the water. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, you know, at this moment in time, it's associated with the Dark Spawn and the Dark One. Mm. And, and here we have it connected to the Amelin seat basically at this moment in time yeah i'll Um, I'll throw one extra one in there for you um the goat shaped uh marking in the first episode we also speculated that could have been from a dark friend bringing them to the town so it may not may not just be the dark ones may also be their dark the the symbol of the dark friends so that's who i was thinking could have burnt down this house with people in the village who are aligned with it could but exactly it could be that as well for sure yeah the the other the other major option and is the, and we can talk more about it is also it's that marking it's the hmm. stay away remember you they in you would hear in history class how they would mark a plague house yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. stay away so this we have seen is kind of to a degree a marking of the dark one so yeah. we see that based on Suan saying or her dad saying you can't let people see you channel. You have to, they won't understand. And this is a few years ago. Yeah. And it's a rural fo- uh, fishing village, we can assume. Um, they're basically, the persecution is they're burning down her house because they've seen her use yeah. the power. Right. They, they, they view magic. She is evil. Kind of, yeah. She is a friend of the Dark One. Yeah. Um, so so more, it is. Or they think part. she is, at least. So, exactly. Um, yeah. They assume because you are. You are different. Yeah. Therefore, you are bad. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Um, we kind of, well, after the credits, I guess, or after the opening credits, then we do see a grown-up version of Suan, who is now the Amelin seat. Um, by the way, only when putting together the notes for the episode did I realize how awkwardly spelt Amelin seat is. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I would not have pronounced it that way if I was reading it in the book at all. <laughs> yep. Um, Welcome to everything I've been saying. for yeah. Like, even Suan... I have not been calling her that for years because <laughs> the like it's just again young Chris didn't read the back appendix of yeah. the book so young Chris just made a pronunciation in his head. Now in fairness we do get two people who call her by her first name in the show we we get her father who pronounced it much more like Swan. Yeah. And we do get Moraine who pronounces it a bit more like Swan. I uh, just so spelt it like different. Swan. Yeah, <laughs> because that that was that was my shorthand for it was swan. Mm-hmm. So she's um, she's a swan, I guess. I guess so. I guess so. She was the ugly duckling who became a swan. Wow, yes. <laughs> but yeah. her very first, powerful swan. Yes. But her first order of business is presiding over the um, the false dragon and, and what the uh, what all the Aesodai have done to him. Effectively, they've uh, they've gentled him, they've paraded him through the streets, brought him to uh, to the White Tower, and Logan Albar is brought directly in front of her and I, I like that automatically she's kind of going i don't even know why he's in front of me now because he's already been gentled everything's been done there's nothing left for me to do here effectively i can pass judgment on what's going to happen to him for the rest of his life but i should have been consulted beforehand i should have been um given the opportunity to pass judgment on him you all know the rules and everybody should know the rules that that, that yeah. should have been followed um Seems angry at our red, green, and blue Ace of Eyes for 
following what they thought was the right thing to do on the road. Um, this is the thing. They knew they were not allowed. They, there was strict orders from before that the Andrin had been known to, or suspected of gentling males, mm-hmm. along with her red sisters, across the world. And that this Logain had to be seen to be brought in front of the Amelin and presided and judged accordingly. Yeah. And that there's huge political machinations. So we're starting to get into the Game of Thrones aspect of it, where mm-hmm. it's very, it's beyond five simple sheep herders uh, potentially being the dragon reborn. Yeah. It is now into, oh, there is a full, like, there's empires out here that we start getting into and yeah. how these empires interact and the royal families and the blood and the white cloaks versus the the flame of the Tarvalon. And all these starts bits. And we do know Loghain had the Gildan Empire, the, the royalty, the king, as one of his followers. He had that army with him. So, it's suddenly beyond just gentling mm-hmm. a stable boy who started to chant. Yeah. It's now you're gentling someone who has the backing of a king and an empire behind him, or at least a country behind him. Mm-hmm. And it's becoming political. And we hear this from Suan later as well, when she's talking about this, like, this is a mess up, but sticking, staying the kind of where the, the scene that we're talking about. It, I, I really enjoy this because yeah. it's the, the puppet master and the strings start to kind of, you start to see why people are so, uh, or even Tom says, don't trust the, the Ace of Die mm-hmm. because we already know that you can see how they are carefully managing their words and mixing words and yeah. not lying, but just not telling the truth. Well, that's it. And it, it, it's it's the politics happening in the White Tower as much as the wider world and how they both in, intersect. Uh, and, you know, we hear this with um, the Marines boss, effectively, the head of the Blue Azure, um, saying, you know, seeing a green defend a red Asia, a Sedai, um, and then yourself, you know, unheard of, uh, as well as, you know, finding out that uh, Suan's is a former blue as well. So, you know, whatever resentment or, or feelings that is within the different orders of, of the a Sedai. Mm-hmm. And so all of this and, at this moment, it's all fairly contained, though. I mean, in, in that sense, it, it, the the sort of broader context of how this may interact uh, with the the different uh, kingdoms within this world, um, as well as within the White Tower, is kind of just hinted at here. But it is really, really nice to see, um, for sure. I mean, in particular, I really love uh, Moraine's sort of acid comeback at Leandrin um ab- about the the man that she is actually with um and keeps hidden from her her sisters uh, mm-hmm. in in the red asia so because none the, of them are supposed to like men none of them are supposed to be with any men so that'd be yeah. a, a massive again it, it that is the the political machinations that are going yeah. on especially for the blues they seem to have all of that spy network picking up the knowledge that they need to go against their rivals but it's not just the blues is what we're finding out here every single sect of the Aes Sedai basically seems to have their own designs on what way they'll deal with the other ones some probably are much more supportive the the yellows for example are the healers so they're probably 
sticking out of the pol- yeah. politi- politics side. But yeah. It seems like the red and blues certainly are up against each other and wanting to maintain that power balance um, or change it completely. Definitely. Yeah. And, and it's to the point that by them acting the way they did, they've undermined the Amelin seat because they have are the ones that have passed the judgment, mm-hmm. not the Amelin seat. Uh, and yeah. certainly for, as Chris said, for a false dragon nonetheless, but a false dragon that has managed to be immensely powerful mm-hmm. um, and has also brought um, uh, kings and other followers with him, then you can see why she is adamant that they need to answer for this, um, the the three of them, uh, as the three leads of those different Asia. Mm. Um, so... This is really, really interesting uh, to me. I also really like the fact that Legain uh, Ablar has some fight in him here. You know, he has been gentled. Um, and ultimately, it kind of does waste away quite quickly when she um, explains that he's going to serve as an example and live out um his you know his days watched and studied until he is consumed by the madness but i i do kind of like that he showed some fight at the start mm. um uh, and th- that was kind of quite a nice little touch as i say even though it fades away and um, very quickly when when faced with the analyn seat mm-hmm. um i think yeah, no, this is great because we did hear um, from Tom when he's speaking to Rand about once you're gentle, you start to lose all will yeah. completely. You just want to give up until the point. And I, the bit I loved is you think there is this fight in Loghain. It's just because he wants to be killed. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't want to go on. And this is a punishment worse than death. I'm hoping they explain some of these bits more. But that some of the... The details around what happens when you channel mm-hmm. is the, the, and I think Moraine slightly touches on it with, uh, Egwene is that it's so sweet. It's addictive to channel, to have that power. Um, and that is true on both sides. Right. So think of it as, like and it, it when I say brain touched on it, it's like don't channel too much, don't try and pull in too much power to take it all in when she talks about the initial glow and the, she's initially checking with Egg Wayne. Right. But essentially it's that. It's it's this sweetness and it's imagine you've had the sweetest meal in your life and then you're told you will never get it again. Yeah. And that's yeah. where like they're like, I just wanna die, forget about it. I'm done. Yeah. And he's just so bullish and he's like yeah, yeah. yeah i'm gonna like he goes up again until she just completes her sentence and the the performance in this from all sides especially just in this overall scene between the Aja and the amelin and then Logain and the amelin i was just riveted yeah especially just the design of the people the places the visualization and then just the script, the narrative itself, just, it all came together and coalesced just beautifully in that, what, 10 minutes? Yeah, it, it really did. And I think um, even the sense just from within that chamber of, you know, why say like Tom is is wary of the Aes Sedai and other people are uh, as well, just the fact that 
the Amelancy race rates. You know, the reason why you shield and then you gentle and death is the last resort and these rules are there to be followed is that our laws don't exist to protect our lives, which the defense of Leandrin, uh, Moraine, you know, as, as they all agree, it, but it is, they're there to protect the people from the Aesodai mm. in, in terms of the, the potential that, that they wield with the one power. So that as well, uh, I thought was really nice. And of course, just the, the big political assertions being made by Leandril around, um, you know, maybe the Amelin seat doesn't want to question Moraine as the mother was once blue herself. You know, I mean, that's pretty open and blatant assertion as to as to that relationship uh, mm. and the potential for favoritism. It's also that she does throw the whole Nynaeve um under the bus, really. Um, yeah. I, you get the sense, at least in that moment, obviously things develop within this episode where that's less of a problem, but at least <laughs> publicly um, at this moment, this is a real kind of a big play, actually, yeah. um, by Leandrin. It certainly yeah. is. R- remind me again by the end of the episode who has gotten the punishment for what happened to Logan <laughs> Elbar. Yeah, exactly. Um, the only person is Moraine. Um, yeah. So does that now in the uh, in the mind of Leandrin, does that make her feel like she has achieved her goal because yes. she got, got away scot-free um, and effectively she is the one that carried out that punishment along with her sisters who channel- channeled through her. Yeah. But she was the in- instigator. She's the one that wanted to do it the whole time, carried it out and then the punishment, uh, in inverted commas, was passed on to Moraine. So, um, it is interesting. And, th- and this is the kind of, you know, the, the, the politics and the machinations that are going on in, in, uh, in the White Terror. This is why this scene is so interesting, why it opens up the world in its own way. Um, having scenes like this is really important in the show at this stage, because as you say, Chris, it could end up going, uh, being just one tagline of who's the dragon. And then that's it. That's the whole story until you have things like this episode or last episode expanding the world yeah. um, you don't get the idea that this could possibly go on for 13 seasons or 7 seasons of the show and, and 15 books you know yeah. um, one question I have as well from uh, Loghain the kind of bomb that he drops in front of the Ace Sedai the, the kind of um, potential lie that he puts in front of them all is that the further they go away from the White Tower the, the less power that they have yes I was wondering is that to so some division amongst them themselves or so some kind of uh, attack their confidence a bit in a way because we hear that Moraine has been away for multiple years at a time but it feels like from the criticism she gets from everybody around her she's the only one that travels far and wide from the White Terror and I wonder is he trying to sow a little fear or doubt within the Aes Sedai and try and keep them there so that the armies that are outside who are up against the Aes Sedai the people who are following him May have a time, may have time to build up their armies without an interference from the Aesodai. Yeah, it's a hundred percent. It's it's the what if you're told that you be, you believe you are one of the main centers of the world, mm. and that your power and influence is prophetic. It is like godly. It is it's sent from the heavens because you control the power. Mm. And then you're told, actually, do you know what? The further you go away from this little city. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, and well, this is again also what we hear about Moraine being consistently gone. 
We heard this in the last episode. She doesn't understand the, the what's happening. The Reds' play is going to win. The Red is going to be bolstered because they've been playing this long political game for a while against mm-hmm. Suan, and it is going to show her that potentially that the Reds are right and she was wrong, and because Moraine leaves, and yeah, like the only other people leaving actively are the Reds, and they go. Not for as long as Moraine. They go, they find a man, they gentle him and bring him back. Mm-hmm. Or kill him there and then. Yeah. So they, there's a few others, but a majority do. Like, we learn more. Like, they, the majority do stay closer to the tower because that's where they're brought up. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose it, it kind of leading into that, and the, the Reds thinking they're winning the battle against the Amelon season and uh, Suan. We find out in this episode that there's a very close relationship between Suan and Moraine. They are lovers. They have been together for many years. Um, it seems like Lance completely uh, in on the uh, on on this relationship. He's guarding the door to make sure nobody finds out the information that the two of them are connected. But it seems like the Reds feel like they're winning in this power struggle that's going on. But they're fighting against the Amelon Seed, who clearly knows exactly what's going on with Moraine. It's a plan between the two of them. Yes. To, to find the yeah. reborn dragon. They're the only two people that know about this plan uh, and they're in a relationship. So while the Reds think they're um, getting one over on the Blues, they think they're getting one over on Moraine, in fact, they don't know the whole story and it feels like they're just going to be hitting a brick wall with the ambulance seat from now on. She's just going to be trying to block them until Moraine can accomplish her task or the goal that she's going after. Yeah. I mean, I, well, that's what I loved about this kind of next phase just showing that relationship mm. because ultimately the punishment is of their design and their choosing to fulfill the goals they are the they are the two that saw this prophecy and they are the two um that have moved to try and prevent and and find the potential dragons in order to um either you well ultimately you know preferred choice to use them to destroy the dark one uh that they don't um effectively turn to side with the dark one i mean you know it is moraine is quite chilling she will kill them and um, she effectively says that she will kill them uh if um it fails you know yeah. she won't let the dark one get it uh their their hand on to any of these companions these five companions so yes you know this is this is pretty serious because what's nice in this episode is you have that moment between the amelin seat and and moraine in this intimate moment and by the way which i i love the route uh, by which she got there because i was wondering why they were focusing on that ornate picture Mm -hmm. and the the episode before thought that was just really really cool um but you know, in this, you have Moraine, the, the contrast um, is that you have Moraine, you know, saving other members of, of this, this group from the two rivers and yep. giving a bit of a put down to Nynaeve as well uh, in doing it. You know, trying to position herself as their ally, but mm-hmm. at the same time here and um, being quite clear that she also is not here for friendship she has this mission to do and if that means they must die that will happen yeah yep 
yeah. which is really yeah. like adds just a great uh different aspect here for me um yeah yeah no huge um they missed a beat here so this was my one piece i i'm gonna ask you guys first and then i'm gonna tell you what they should have said and done and then uh, just to make because it, it it needs to be explained and it hasn't been explained what do you think happened or how do moraine and suan meet I think it, well, I, I took it like the Harry Potter, um, had probably stolen this idea of, uh, of moving through paintings and moving through tunnels, uh, between, uh, areas or between magical areas, I suppose. So that's the way I took it. Um, is that, is that different to the way it was in the book? Uh, John? Yeah, I took it similar way. I just assumed they were using physical objects, uh, to, to move through, um, like a gateway or, so, or some, uh, portal. I, I guess with the bright white light, it felt like they were using the weave, even though it wasn't really yeah. identified. It didn't seem to identify as the weave, if that's the right way of putting it. Okay. Um, so maybe just using the one power or the true source in a way that possibly it shouldn't to create, but to create this safe, oh. secretive space. And um, like, and I had a few Harry Potter analogies from this one as well. You already went um, to a port key there. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, with port key or with the you know the hidden room mm-hmm. in, in Hogwarts. Room so of requirement, yeah. Um, so I definitely, but I felt it had something to do with the one source just because of that blinding white light. Right. Okay. Cool. No. Okay. So and I did well. They could be changing it, which is quite interesting, right? So. These are uh, relics. The, the thing on the wall was a terangral, which is kind of like this art. It's a, basically an artifact, right? Yeah, yeah. From the ages before. And when you channel it, stuff happens. This is, remember, we have been told dreaming holds power. Mm-hmm. Dreaming is, and there's a big, huge aspect I've talked about before. Dreams have a whole thing. Yeah, yeah. They met in the dreaming world. This is what this is. They have. They weren't actually. They they stepped into the dreaming world to be together. They weren't on the real place. It, that's why it looked a slightly weirder color. It wasn't okay. the same. And this is a whole thing of later on in the series and the books and everything. You'll start to discuss dreamwalkers and the 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 uh, uh, rehold, uh, okay. which is the dream world. And all this stuff. And it's how then, like, they can communicate and talk over great distance when they go asleep and they chat together and mm-hmm. they meet. Or they can use these artifacts to channel into it and then automatically enter the dream world to be together, to chat and have to, like... And that's the thing. This is a huge part mm. of some of the lore. And I'm wondering... Are they just kind of stepping that out and saying that, like I said, like you guys said, are they going to go more for it's a port key and it's bringing them from port A to port B? (laughs) Essentially, like a bit more Harry Potter-ish. And that would make sense because there is a cultural understanding of that type of magic right now in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I, I also think if now that you tell me that it's a dream world, I think it wouldn't have made sense for the writing of the scene. If there was another any other option that they could use, they should have used it there because yeah. 
what she's talking about to Moraine, what uh, what Swan is talking about to Moraine. And part of this scene is my dreams have been troubling me. The dreams that I've been having, having are troubling me. So if you're saying that she's in the dream world and talking about other dreams, that would be really complicated to get across on a TV show. Whereas in yeah. a book, you have you know, five or well, ten pages. It's very meta as well. It'd be really yeah. confusing in a TV show to try and explain they've gone into the dream yeah. world. So I could understand, but I don't. I, I wouldn't think they're going to take something from the from Harry Potter because it's popular in the world. I, I just mean in the in the universe of the books, if there's any other option here, they did actually travel to be physically in the same location. I could see that being the way that they would do for this scene because it makes more sense. But yeah. it, it is, but there's the plot hole that they build for new audiences is, well, if they have a device that can transport them across the world mm. back to Suan's original home, miles and miles away, why doesn't she use that? No, I, I so I didn't think it was about going to a physical space. Okay. So it's I to me I didn't view it as a way gate. Yeah. Uh, as we see at the end here where it's outside of time and space mm. to travel. So I didn't see it as a traveling mechanism. I, I guess it's more like the room of requirement in that sense. And I'm using Harry Potter analogies because probably in my mind, I'm going, well, J.K. Rowling took it from Wheel of Time or yeah. whatever. But it's just simply, um, I just assumed it was a safe place because ultimately this relationship that is shown here is effectively not permitted under yeah. the the uh, under the Acidai because of who Swan is, the Amelin seat. So. This isn't permitted ultimately. So that this is a safe space for them to talk and strategy around what they're doing. I mean, there's maybe a few subtle hints now that you've described it, Chris. That yes, she was dreaming in the sense that Land does say, "I, I will stand guard." So maybe because she is asleep and defenseless, but at yeah. the time. I just assumed it was because she was going through this artifact and yeah. yeah. um, to to meet with uh, Swan and, and because it's been two years um, and they have a lot to discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but no, I, I, I didn't see it as a traveling mechanism yeah. to get from one place to another okay. um, in that sense. but Okay, and I, and I don't think it matters too much uh, at the moment. No. Um, I, I don't, I, it, I think... For me, it was a big thing because I was like, yeah. they need to explain this very soon because if they are going to keep elements of the dream world and what the dreams mm-hmm. are and things like that. And I think it was just that, oh, it would have been the perfect time to go. You could have started to lay the groundwork. I think they just, again... They have a lot. They've already did a lot of Basel exposition for the whole world and the political aspects of the Aja yeah. and everything in between. So I think adding an extra layer of "Welcome to the Dream World." What is a Dream World? How you can enter the Dream World? What is a, a Terran Grell? And all that fun and games could have been overload. I yeah, I I think so. I think there's a lot to grab hold of in this season irrespective of starting to take it into the dream world. And I think they have, you know, they've signposted that importance by saying dreams have meaning and the dreams of Rand, Matt, Perrin, Egwene with the Dark One. So there's been a lot of that, but I think to suddenly bring in, 
you know, with two episodes left, a whole new set of um, cultures and, yeah. and so on around Dreamwalkers would be way too much, and it's oh, not, yeah. and it would defocus the entire yeah. thing from effectively the story of of getting to the final episode. And I think they have to balance that, as you say, the exposition with the story. And ultimately, this is primarily book one so there's a there's you know they've got to get somewhere pretty quick and do stuff by in the next two episodes and i'll be honest as a as a person who hasn't read the books if you're telling me that that scene took place in a dream world i'm completely lost i'm totally confused why they spent eight hours in that place together why they had sex why there was so much intimacy between the two of them there because that feels like they had a physical meetup for the first time in two years so if you're telling me that that it was a thing that took place in the dream world, I would be completely lost as I kind of am right now. Uh, and I'm hoping that they'll, that they'll come back to that in a different way in the future when maybe they meet physically in a physical space, have sex and go, this is the first time we've been physically intimate together in the real world, outside of the dream world. And that can be explained away in a line. It would still be confusing to me because the purpose of this scene is to get them together, show that they're co-conspirators in a plan that none of the rest of the Ace and I know about and to reveal their relationship and how secretive they are about it. Uh, I don't think it was to introduce the dream world and dreamwalkers and another form of magic almost to the world at this time. Yeah, so they are they are physically together. They're physically entering the dream world. So that's going to confuse you even more. So anyway, look, let's move it beyond this. It was just yeah. a thing for me. And I think definitely I think we'll hear more about it. I think yeah. they'll be able to talk more about it in the future. And I certainly would bring out the big points from that from that moment it is also about suan saying that she's had dreams of the dark one yes she's giving the guidance that they need to go kill the dark one in, at in the eye of the world where he's gathering his power but not strong enough yet to defend against any attack let alone one that could be from one of the future dragons yeah learn about who which one which one the dragon is on the way there but get there as soon as possible <laughs> kind of the, the guidance she's given. and Moraine saying you have to banish me because yeah. my lead that my leader of the blue asia um is saying i need to stay here and i can't to 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 make sure that our plan works so yeah. Yeah. like I, I that in that sense i i love this whole meeting together and Absolutely, again yeah. it's also that that human dimension to i guess the power the the leader that the, the amelin seat's got to be you know straight backed um chest out uh very regal in in the amelin seat as the amelin seat and yet here you see her with this in intimate moment with moraine mm-hmm. and you see moraine relax as well she you know there is a a, a slight here from uh so in the White Tower, saying, you know, the noble woman, uh, Moraine, and gives her a full title. Um, this idea that she is reserved and secretive, maybe just naturally from um, her her noble blood that she has. And here you see the two of them, actually the almost the human face of it, well, yeah. of, of these two, relaxed in one another's company. Yeah. Um, so I thought this was just nice. I thought this was a really good way of putting the the human side of the Amelin seat as well as the flashback. Yeah, but Suan does still also tell the puffer fish to put back her spikes. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. It's, not, yeah. it's not like she's being all nice and kind to her and stepping back for her. They have that relationship. She'll name. tell her to stop um, uh, and put the spikes back in so, because yeah. they have that, that relationship. Yeah, it's a pet well. name. Yeah. 
Yeah. But interesting point that you, that you mentioned there as well, Moraine working with Amelin Seat and telling Suan what she needs from her to go against the direction that she's getting from her boss of the Blue I said, I, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. So Moraine's standing alone here. What we've been talking about throughout this whole episode as our introduction of the Aes Sedai is, what is the similarities between those groupings of Aes Sedai, each of the seven groups of them, what they're about, what their what their purpose is. Yet Moraine stands alone here. She's not a blue Aes Sedai. She's a, a person who's brought up in the blue Aes Sedai that's acting on her own along with the ambulance seat and willing to go against her leader effectively to accomplish the plan. So uh, that's also quite interesting about Moraine's character. Yeah, no, they, they were given this prophecy um, years ago, and they have been slowly working towards it. And the only two one that know about it as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's definitely going to be, be... We'll hear more about that. We have to. They're going to have to do a proper... Because we start to see the ending of this, uh, this truthfulness from Moraine towards the end of this episode, at the very end of this episode, actually. Mm-hmm. She is more open to the, the dragon potential dragon reborn recruits to the to the two rivers folks she starts to be okay i'm going to tell you the truth yeah and she starts to be tell that truth and again we have to imagine that to a degree the two river folks in this story are proxies to the audience in that yeah they are learning everything as much as we are yeah so I believe a lot of that information like the prophecy and things like that will come out more of course uh, towards the end of this yeah, I think probably in 80s movies, I think Moraine would probably be described as a wild card who plays by her own rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 80s action movie equivalent. But of, of then Suan is getting too old for this shit. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like uh, lethal, lethal weapon. Lethal weapon. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many machinations, so much political activity going on in this uh, in this scene that obviously it does form such a big part of the episode. And because of how much is going on, I think we could talk about it uh, for hours. And a lot more will be revealed as the episodes go on. You can't just have this kind of moment once in a series like this. So we will see more of it uh, as we learn more about the HDI in the future. But uh, let's take that opportunity to move on to spoke number two. Um, some smaller points um, for our other spokes for the episodes. But big scenes, though. Um, yeah, the, definitely. The freeing of Matt is our is our second spoke where we, we have Moraine learning that Matt's in the city and learning that Nynaeve has been trying to I guess feed him uh, roots and vegetables and and throw some flowers at him to try and uh, to relieve this corruption from him um, because she's really abusive almost to Nynaeve for yeah. for hiding Matt away, hiding what's going on, and effectively saying, you know, your title was wisdom when you're at the two rivers. You need to show some of that here, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so a, a really interesting scene. Yeah, I love this um, this scene for a number of reasons i think it's the concern of of rand because of his friend he mm-hmm. he is assuming that moraine is about to come in here and and gentle him effectively yeah. and in some respects she does it's just not it's not the one power it's the the darkness uh, that was within shadow Lagoth and just that whole scene of her pulling it out of him mm-hmm. you get the more sense of the physical side of having to pull this out from uh, from Matt by Moraine compared to the gentling that you saw of um, Legane Ablar, which was kind of like this this wave, this sort of wings coming out of his chest, uh, black wings. This is 
you get the sense it is being dragged, kicking and screaming mm-hmm. from within. Uh, man, it was so cool. Just that jerkiness where it's trying to hold on, but how it travels up and through the weave, she, you know, to her mouth, which then she effectively, I guess, spits it down the weave through to, to the the ruby gem uh, in mm-hmm. in his dagger, I thought that was I thought that was just really really cool um, scene, and then her whole interaction with Nynaeve, where effectively, you know, your pride would have killed him. Yeah, um, and yeah, start using a bit of wisdom. I thought was was really good. So I loved all these three elements to this scene, even though it was quite brief really it didn't feel we spent an awful lot of time and um, because of the the central element of the analyst seat and, and the rain even though they did come in on it and um, but i love those three elements here uh with with the the freeing of matt mm-hmm. yeah no and uh, you're right it's literally the the reason they they have um they, the reason they showed so much and spent so much time with the Amelon seat and the the, the the Ace of Die is because we're not gonna be there for a while. We'll jump back and forth, but we'll be with our main characters. So let's give you some additional world building and now next two episodes are your main characters nonstop hundred mm. percent Dragon Reborn. Um the freeing of Matt was cool. Yeah. I liked how they they first of all had they showed the the the, the black ink and the taint of Shadar Lagoth coming out and the the explanation of the dagger because we knew Matt had taken it but I think a lot of people we had seen that the the, the taint was coming in and out of him. Um but that it just wanted to escape and like we got a bit more of that. So it looked visually spectacular and again that showing of the control of the one power, the magic aspect, being pulled from Matt like this, and just putting it, trying to crawl over, um, uh, trying to crawl into yeah. uh, Moraine's mouth, yeah, yeah, and then cool. it just being pushed back into the dagger. Absolutely, and I think what's really interesting about the scene is, you know, part of the of the kind of twist you were seeing on Matt throughout the season was maybe he's the dragon. Because he's being corrupted by this power, maybe that's coming out in him. Maybe he's evil, and they've taken that away. But Moraine adds to his, I suppose, lore as well. She says he couldn't possibly have held on for this long yeah. unless he was truly powerful. So while they have taken away, it wasn't what we'd seen the the control that we were seeing over the last few episodes. That wasn't the Dragon Reborn, but. Hang on a second, there's don't something. worry. There's still something else. He's still got some power in him. Yeah. Just like we hear about Ran, just like we hear about Nynaeve, just like we hear about Perrin. All of them have a form of power within them still. So Definitely. I thought that was good that at least we get that corrected by Moraine here, uh, that she still says he's very powerful. She, nobody else could survive this. Yeah, he would have been consumed by mm. this darkness. Um, yeah. So he's, he's much stronger. The other thing I like about the Moraine in the the city of Tarvalon, you do get the sense of her spy network a bit more mm-hmm. here, both herself doing that with Lan to find, 
naive, effectively um, sneaking in to try and, and uh, help Matt and, and bring him back to health, but also with the arrival of Perrin uh, and Egwene uh, into the city after mm-hmm. escaping from the, the White Cloaks. Um, again, where she is, as you say, finds out about his 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 golden yellow eyes, his beautiful golden yellow eyes, um, uh, of Perrin and and the wolves. Yeah. So again, you know, having to warn Egwene, don't say anything because there are some people in this city that would see that as reason enough uh, to bring him harm. So, uh, yeah, some nice little um sort of curveballs here around two of these characters and, and the extent to you know their their claim on being the dragon reborn as well yeah yeah to make one final game of thrones comparison um <laughs> i was a little bit disappointed with moraine's spy network in the city because <laughs> she, t- she told Nynaeve last episode i will tell you the instant that rand and uh and matt come into this city because i have spies everywhere i'll know instantly they've been there for about four or five days and she doesn't know until she goes out and gets them and then um Egwene and Perrin are in the Houses of Healing um, with the with the Yellow Ace Sedai, and they've been there overnight. And uh, she's told by her spy they've been here for at least a day. And I was kind of going, in Game of Thrones, when they wanted information, they had it before, like, a phone call would have gotten it to them. They have it instantly in, the, in that universe. They know exactly what's going on in all quarters of the world. Well, that's where true. Where Moraine's, like, in her own city going, I have my spies everywhere, and it takes them three or four days to get information to her. So, <laughs> so maybe that's just the disappointment, and uh, maybe that was just the economy of writing Game of Thrones that had uh, people knowing things they couldn't possibly know about, and Moraine's probably a bit more realistic that it would take a few days to spread through a whole city. Yes, exactly. I, I would say so. <laughs> that was all. Certainly a busy city that have all come out to see Legane being yeah. sort of paraded through the streets. Plus, she doesn't have her little sparrows. So, yes. Yes, yes exactly. So, uh, so that's, that, that was my only, my she, only thing. She hasn't been there for two years. That's the other one. So maybe all the spies thought they've already gotten a second job. So they're not really kind of uh, done much. Maybe maybe you know? that's it. Or Too busy just... selling sort of oranges and coconuts. Yeah, or maybe she's just making herself sound more important than she actually is in a city she hasn't been to in years. Um, as she said herself, uh, as she said herself, her home is on the back of a horse with her cloak and the grumpy guy sitting beside her. Uh, that's her home now. So maybe that maybe that was the, the touch of it. But no, don't mean anything by it. I simply just meant I thought it was funny that she was saying, I'll know the instant people arrive and it's taking days to get that information to her. Um, that's kind of it on spoke number two, I think, for, for freeing Matt. Uh, let's get on to our final spoke of the episode, the Waygate to the Eye of the World. So, Chris, I guess you can take this one because this is probably uh, the name of the first book is The Eye of the World. This is the, yeah. a, a big moment um, for the series so far. Uh, this is the journey that the the whole team are going on. Anything you want to add to the the final moment from the episode, our final spoke for the episode? This is where it is. there is a vast departure from the books, and this is why I am 100% down for this. They are telling their own story um, in that Matt does not go with them. And this is very interesting because I don't know what they're setting up or what way they're doing this. Um, because it is only the way gates, um, I'm not going to spoil anything, is just essentially we're told that it was a way to travel, but it is tainted and evil. We see Moraine open it with the one power. Mm. Matt doesn't have the one power that we know of. So how is he going to follow? 
he potentially is not. So it's this very interesting where they are taking the story because we see everyone runs, everyone meets. Um, uh, we basically Moraine thanks uh, Loyal as a builder to for showing them where this waygate is, and uh, yeah, it's very interesting. I am excited for episode seven. For the TV show watchers here, Chris, could you explain that a little bit? Um, so I know Loyal was brought in last episode. There were some complaints from uh, some of our listeners about how uh, how small he was used yes. in the show. He kind of introduced. We talked about it on on our episode that they should have spent a bit more time with him. They hit, they nailed a few tick boxes of the character and and introduced him in a very short amount of time. And here we have Moraine thanking him as a builder for. Showing them the gate, do you know? Can you give any kind of yes? I can, what I, 100%. Yes, I can. So, uh, the Ogier are the builders, uh, they are known for building some of the greatest architecture of the old ages in those worlds of the Wheel of Time. And part of that is they built these way gates, these powerful artifacts that allow to the truth allow for very quick traveling across the world okay. um, and as part of being the builders they are aware of where these way gates are um, and that they um, especially when we get to some of the other cities some of the other cities that are uh, that are so glistening as well like the tower was built by the Ogier, the builders. Right. That is why. Like, it is so beautiful and huge and spectacular. Same with um, some of the other major cities. Um, and the reason they kind of did jump it, which is the reason Moraine asks him for his help is because he knows where these way gates are. And he knows, to be fair as well, also, think of this as a kind of a series of tunnels, point A to point B, uh-huh. and navigating. Uh, but there's also these windy elements as well where you can get lost and travel for years. But to know where to exit in A and exit at C yeah, and not get lost and to know where to come in and out of, you need someone who can basically navigate the ways yeah yeah Yeah. so that that's more to it is it's navigating the ways once they're in the way gate i mean the way gate is in the middle of a field so i like that i never you saw the volcano um dragon mount uh behind it so Mm -hmm. um it it, he's needed to help navigate through that because of um i guess the complexity of it yeah and and also the normally around where the uh, ogiers are from, which are steadings, which is effectively um, uh, wood woods um, and so on, and uh, they're, they're magical woods. Yeah, magical woods, and that's why we kind of mentioned about them being like tree beard and that yeah. sense. Um, and there are, in in a sense, as a as a culture within this world, they're a bit on the wane. Actually, they're not seen as important as they used to be by the majority of like people living in this world. Well, if they're being seen and thought of as if they're Trollocs and being hunted down by people, yeah, exactly. I can understand why they'd be on the wane as well. Yeah, exactly. And as part of that, they also live for hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm. So we do, we heard this from Loyal in the previous episode mm-hmm. where he's like, you humans are so rushed and yeah. Yeah. so impulsive. Their whole thing is they, they, they again, 
very much Treebeard-esque in that, why must everything be so fast? And mm-hmm. they don't speak with that cadence. They speak quite normally, but a bit slower because mm-hmm. their lifespans are hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the interesting thing, as you say, is Matt doesn't go through um, yeah. the way gate. Mm-hmm. And in some respects, I kind of agree with him. It looked pretty dark and evil looking. And there is <laughs> potentially something in that um, as well. Well, yeah. Um, for for the next episode and how they travel through this way gate to their destination. Um, well, so, that- the, the you know, looking at that, I'd be... Kind of in Matt's kind of ballpark, really. I'd be like, as you've just kind of kissed your horses goodbye, I'll take them. And then I can sell them. I can get rich. Possibly it's what he's going to do. Is he going back to the two rivers or will, you know, maybe the start of next episode, there'll just be this, this hand of Rand sort of coming out through what's remaining of the portal and he'll be pulled through. I mean, I hope he joins them. I really do, to be honest. (laughs) He's miles away. That was the bit Uh, I was like, he's not like he's, that's what I thought they might do, which is he stands right at the the, the threshold, goes, oh, I don't know what to do. And it cuts fades to black. And you're like, oh my God, he didn't get in. And then last minute.com ran, pulls him through. That's not... He's not that close for no, that to happen. Not. So I really don't know where they're taking this. And this is this is why I'm so interested because it's a departure from the books. Mm. It's a departure of in terms of what stories and how they're condensing. And I'm here for each of these choices that they're making because I'm like, I'm here for this change because I'm interested to see what they can do here. Yeah. Are they going to forge their own path in terms of some story are they actually going to create new story elements as part of this adaptation or what will they do is just jump matt from point a in this storyline to book three and put them straight into some other kind of other well-known beats from that story see all i was thinking was well moraine opened the gate surely she can just open back up the gate and go get in here um, oh, so, but that could happen too. <laughs> just as simple as that. But throughout the series so far, Matt's journey has been, he's been forced on this journey. He doesn't want to go on it. He wants to be back with his sisters. So he has pushed the whole time. It wasn't to do with the con- corruption of that knife that was telling him to fight against this. It yeah. was that he was saying, if I turn bad and I'm the dragon, kill me. You know, he's he doesn't want to go on this journey at all. Yeah. He wants to get himself back to his small village and back and taking care of his of his uh, his sisters. He doesn't want to be the epic hero that goes on this journey. So very different in in Wheel of Time. The hero's journey is usually you pick up the you know Arthur picks up the sword and becomes the king of England. You know that's the kind of the journey that that these kind of characters go on. Um, it is very rarely that this far into the story there's five people that still don't know their purpose and are still going on the journey so <laughs> there's there's nobody here that's being told for definite you are the hero of this of the story they're almost being told when we find the hero the rest of you are dead because you're not you're useless to us but we'll take you along for the journey until you do die basically well you have that nice moment where uh, moraine 
you know, uses the the liberal interpretation of their oaths again because we've had we see the conversation between her and the Amelin seat that anyone that gets in the way of the Dark One and the Dragon Reborn will die. And she, when asked that, well, what will happen to us by Egwene at the portal gate? Um, she says, no, we don't know for sure what will happen. Yeah. Um, so, again, I just wondered if there was any meaning in Egwene asking that and the response of... Moraine to her, given the scene in the woods earlier on in the the season, where Moraine is taking her through those oaths and how language is precise mm, and and so on. Just in terms of Egwene as well, just as to how she is developing, because the really uh, nice bit in this, which made me chuckle, was um, when the Amelin seat says. Um, when she's been introduced to Egwene and Nynaeve by Moraine, she says, um, oh, I'm being introduced to one of the most powerful uh, channelers that we have seen in a long, long time. And there is Egwene thinking it's her. She's kind of like, you know, puffing out her chest and shoulders back, ready to get all the lords, uh, the lording from um, the Amelin seat. And then immediately it's, it's naive because mm-hmm. of the last episode uh, and her use of that power. So Egwene got a little di- bit deflated um, yeah. here. So I, I, I really en- I enjoyed those moments here with Egwene as well in in, in this episode. They're, they're, they were kind of small, but I feel it, it it it's working towards who she will be with her use of the the one source. Right. Yeah. There is one, only one dragon reborn. But there are very other. There are other special people. Well, yes, um, like we even hear in this episode again. I like the. Um, I like the guidance that they're that they're giving on this. They're saying the prophecy is three thousand years old, that it's been interpreted and reinterpreted multiple multiple times, and there's still a possibility that there could be a five-headed dragon, five, five potential dragons that could make up the one dragon. Yes. We don't know whether it's man or woman. We don't know what form. The dragon reborn will take it could take any form and could have split itself into these five kids effectively. So, yeah, um, exactly. so we still don't have any uh, any clues uh, for the detectives amongst us as to which one is going to be the dragon because every one of them has something within them that could possibly lead them to be the dragon. Yeah. And we get that reference back to the Taveran as well um, in in this episode of, of the, the these companions from the two rivers being Taveran as well. Oh, right. Okay, that's a word I still don't understand. I'm not entirely sure of it either. Uh, yes, I'm, it is Taveran. Tavi, Tavir N E H N. So that's how they pronounce it. Tavirn. We can change if we've got it wrong. We can no, change. No, no, it's, it it's Tavir N. Yeah, E H N. So Tavirn. I was sidestepping that. The the. That was what I forgot they were had actually said. There is, this is what they are alluding to. There, the the Taveran are individuals who warp the weave around them. We talk about the wheel of time and how the wheel weaves and spins people up, and it is just a just tapestry of time and space. Taveran warp the prop like the the weave weaves around them it is they are so important 
So no matter who is the Dragon Reborn and no matter how the Dragon Reborn is, they are these other people will not just die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like they are so important. And as so again, so happy to see all this stuff. Every now and again, I'm just like, I get to see this live action. It's amazing. Well, on that note, does anybody have any notes for the episode? Um, I just have one. It's again, it's kind of the the holy or the sacred artifact or the sacred rod, and again, a bit of another uh, Harry Potter, a bit like the uh, unbreakable bond from Harry Potter, yep. where the banishment is done and promised. Uh, it was I think. Uh, Swan says, uh, you know, fealty must be sworn on, on the sacred rod. And um, I did keep thinking of the inanimate carbon rod from uh, <laughs> yeah. the Simpsons, but, um, I, I loved how the weave worked its way in from the mm-hmm. Amelin seat and then back out towards, um, Moraine, uh, as she, you know, promises to uphold and, t- and swear fealty to the decision of the Amelin seat for on this banishment. Um, and once again, showing Moraine is not the only one that knows how to use their words because the Amelin seat says, until I yes. allow you back. And we know they have a relationship, so that's not that much of a banishment. That's tomorrow! <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, right, okay, I've thought about it, I've had a good sleep, and uh, you can come back in today if you'd like to. Yeah. yeah. And again, that's what I talk about, Tarangra, that's an artifact, it's the Oath Rod. Um, this is we heard we heard about this all the way back in I think episode two or three, where um, you hear Moraine explain that they they swear their oaths um, uh, using the one power. Mm. So this is this the the sacred rod, the rod that binds them to those oaths. It is a, an artifact of the one power, and it kind of just pulls them in. Which is really interesting because we we see the reaction from Moraine. When being asked to swear this on the rod, she is acting for her sisters uh, in the Aes Sedai, showing that she wasn't expected to have to be bound uh, by this, I think. Uh, that's the way it comes across anyway. She wasn't expecting that uh, the Amelin seat would make her swear on the same rod to this oath that she won't return without being uh, brought back. I do wonder, though, if somebody else takes on the Amelin seat, um, does that completely scupper the plans that they have if somebody overthrows the current Amelin seat and takes on uh, that sees they don't have the same arrangement to allow Moraine back in then obviously so um, so I wonder will those political machinations continue to play out as the Reds try and take her seat from her it would be early only though. time will tell yeah. I feel that would be quite early um, for me at the moment but it, it could just all be the political machinations mm-hmm. could be sped up absolutely it depends on how um, the wheel uh, spins I guess well that's yep. that's the other thing as well and the my only other note is are, are, are two moments because we get the the famous the the wheel weaves as the wheel wills and um, from Moraine as she enters yep. into the the way gate mm-hmm. and this idea that there it's a fate element of you are carried along in the river as we've seen uh, with all these different references um such as with uh, Egwene uh, in, in the river and um, at her initiation but at the same time as Nynaeve and Egwene meet um, the Amelin seat. It's and it's to the point of the Taviran again. She says the only thing that matters now is what you now do. Um, I that there is that their will of what they do or what choice they make can affect the weave and the will of the wheel. I guess. Okay. Um, so that's the other interesting element here. Um, given that 
there is the suspicion between Moraine and um and the Amalan seat that of the Taviran and that they could also uh, be possibly uh, Taviran. Yep. So. Um, the final note for me is just a very quick one, which is so far only Moraine and Lan have seen the three boys. None of the other Aesidae are aware right now of yep, that's the true. potential Dragon Reborns, yeah. um, who they are. We know the Dark Friends are after them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we know the Dark Friends have their description. Yeah. And yeah. what they potentially look like and talk like. And they've seen visions of the, the of are these two rivers folks. Yeah. But the other Aesidae don't know. So that was the interesting thing I thought was that she owned that Moraine as well only brought Egwene and Nynaeve mm-hmm. to see the Amelin seat. Yeah. And into the temple overall. So the, yeah. uh, it was only the two of them brought in to, uh, to get a little history lesson on who the Aesidae are and then go and meet uh, the Amelin seat. So. I guess in fairness, Perrin was flat out on, on a, a bed mm-hmm. trying to recover as kind of was Matt really. But uh, I reckon Rand must feel pretty left out, to be honest. <laughs> I think it yeah, makes he's, a lot got, of he's got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Except his ginger locks. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's an ale, so it's fine. Yeah, that's a really good catch, Chris. I'm sure that'll, uh, that's, that makes lots of sense why it would only be the two of them brought into uh, brought the terror and brought into the, the Ace of Dime. Um, excellent. I think that's it. I think we have spoken. Uh, we have talked about all of our spokes uh, for the episode. Um, Chris, did you enjoy this episode of Wheel of Time? I did. I really did. This show gets better for me each week. Um, it, as I said, it's taking some, what I consider sometimes odd choices, like not explaining certain pieces, but my assumption is that it will come later. Otherwise, they're just shorthanded at some point. Um, every now and again, I just remind myself they're adapting. This is their interpretation, their adaptation of this 13 book series. Um, so they're going to have, they're not going to be able to spend the luxury of explaining the ins and outs of using a power and entering the dream world and blah, blah, blah. But then also they're going to be able to do what they did here, which is divert dramatically, potentially from the books. And I'm here for that because then that adds a huge element of Okay, there's a whole storyline now that I do not know what's going to happen. Whereas pretty much I could under, I knew some of the steps and what they're taking throughout this first six episodes. Uh, but now, oh, there's a whole storyline now. Like, I don't know where Matt's going and what he's going to do. So I'm waiting, willing to see. Um, and yeah, let's wait and see. Excellent. Excellent stuff. How about yourself, John? Did you, did you enjoy this episode of Will John? Yeah, I really did enjoy this uh this episode um I give it four and a half fishing trips out of five um yeah i really enjoyed it the the whole amelin seat being introduced here the ins and outs of the white tower and the acid eye i just thought was really uh nicely done i mean you know it, it was again with the flashback with this um sort of dream sequence or safe uh hidden space uh whatever it may turn out to be um I, I thought that was really nice really intimate and you kind of got a sense of who moraine actually was and you got a sense of who the amelin seat was as well along with the flashback and i think that's that was 
just so well done. I loved everything around, you know, Nynaeve being a bit aggressive, still uppity, and kind of needs a bit of a chill pill. <laughs> I like her being just sort of taken down a peg or two as well. I mean, I love Nynaeve. I love her feistiness, but I, I think, you know, the riposte of Moraine to her is absolutely deserved and brilliant. In the same way as with the Amelin seat when she's introduced, you know, where she's pretty aggressive and, um, it, it, you know, it, it's kind of stood up to a bit. Um, but you can, you understand Nynaeve because she's trying to protect, um, effectively people who are five years younger than her, um, with, in, in Egwene, Rand, Perrin, and Matt. So, um, I just loved all this interaction between these strong women as well and, and how that really enhances the the storyline. Um, Matt's having the darkness ripped out of him. Awesome. Love that. Um, the dagger, so iconic. Um, so can't wait to see that um, and how that plays out. And of course, being left with the Waygate and something looking pretty dark and nasty in there you kind of don't really think that loyal uh his kind would possibly create it quite like that potentially and matt's reluctance um to to join his companions and that in being the big change from uh book one um so this was really intriguing and i'm looking forward as I say, pretty much standardly now with with these podcasts on the Wheel of Time to the next episode. I think they're doing a really, really great job. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm really interested to see how they go. So yeah, four and a half fishing trips out of five. So yeah, I really did enjoy uh, this episode of... Uh, Wheel of Time, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Me too. I uh, really enjoyed this. I love the opening up of the world. You know, the the what we talked about last week was opening up with the ceremon- ceremonies and how they deal with death and how and and how they're going through all that kind of side of things. This time, this is opening up the world in a bigger way for me. Um, what we have here with the ASI specifically and how they're dealing with each other. F- this feels more like something you can play on for a few seasons rather than just the hero's journey. So, uh, this is why this episode is important. Only two more episodes left, so uh, a good time to have uh, that broadening of the world and broadening of, of what's going on in, in at least that side of society. So uh, really enjoyed it. Love, I love the acting in this show as well. The casting has been fantastic and everybody's uh, really fits into the world properly uh, here. So definitely great episode. Uh, looking forward to being back uh, next week with episode seven. Think with that. I think we need to wet the wet the whistle and go to uh, an inn or a tavern. Um, John, do you want to lead us there? Yes, I think uh, we need to rechristen uh, this whilst we're still at an early stage. I guess with one of uh, eight seasons left to go. Um, <laughs> then, uh, Wheel of Time in quiz. I think mm. we missed a trick here. It should be a tavern quiz because then I can go fellow quizzes fellow wheelies but fellow taverners and um, oh, maybe God. you also um influence the the weave of the one power uh in order to get the right answers i guess well is that cheating i don't know please don't use the weave to get your answers picked <laughs> <by> us. <laughs> well the weave is amazon prime you just have to watch the show again That's i guess yeah and uh, fast <laughs> forward is that the weave i don't know but we are still at the queen's blessing um of course for this uh 
episode. And so, fellow quizzes, wheelies, question six for episode six. What is the name of the town where Leandrin keeps her secret relationship hidden? Ooh, you then will have the knowledge that could take down uh, Leandrin. I like it. Indeed, you <laughs> could. If you've missed, missed any of the questions that we've uh, given out in our Wheel of Time in quiz, uh, as it's still being called, just because I have to update all of our artwork if I change it to Tavern Quiz, um, just go to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com. You'll see a, a link there for uh, all the questions for the Wheel of Time pub quiz. Uh, get all of your answers into us by the end of the year. Uh, should have uh, eight questions and eight answers into us by then, and you'll have the opportunity of winning some Wheel of Time goodies. John, do you want to give the question one more time? Certainly. Question six. What is the name of the town where Leandrin keeps her secret relationship hidden? And of course, we will be back uh, with our question seven next week. (laughs) And remember to bring some bar snacks next time. Pork scratchings, pickled eggs, pickled walnuts. Uh, those kind of, I guess, taverny type of bar snacks that you kind of have. It feels like uh, you're asking Chris to bring the bar snacks. Though. I am. That's right. It was kind of like, it was like, I can do that. I can bring bar Excellent. snacks. And of course, you can email us with your answers to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com along with uh, all of your feedback on the episodes of Wheel of Time. Let's get into some of that feedback for this episode. Yes, on to the Chrisless feedback section of our Wheel of Time podcast. Mm. Yes. Uh, first up, let's get some emails in from our wonderful fellow wheelies. Yes. Victor Von Doom has, a fee- has some feedback on episode five. Yes. Victor says, greetings, wheelies. I'm late to the party, so I binge watched episodes two, three, four, and five. Oof. After viewing episode five, I all but lost my Christmas spirit. Oh. What a downer. Mm. I had to watch Hawkeye again just to get over the massive but understandable grief in this episode. The acting was so good, I empathised with the characters. I have not read the book, so forgive me if I butcher some names. The dudes of the light really annoy me. Don't they have better things to do than hunt women and bully pacifists? I cheered when they were attacked by wolves. Mm -hmm. Question. Are the Tinkers werewolves? I'm totally hooked on this series and will add the books to my reading list. I look forward to your insights and wheelies feedback. Happy holidays and roll on, Victor Von Doom. Thank you so much, Victor, for for the feedback. Mm. Um, in terms of whether the Tinkers are werewolves or not, uh, I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. Um, but certainly, I think they are able to recognize um, these things in people, possibly uh, much more than others. I, I don't really know, to be honest. So yeah, I'm think... just I'm I'm with you ultimately on this. Yeah. Um, they could be. They may also not be, uh, but I am definitely with you uh, around the uh, the dudes of the light and the white cloaks um, for sure. Yeah, uh, they are a bit of an annoyance. Yes, Victor. So the answer to your question of are the Tinkers werewolves? None of us know, but you're asking the right question. I think is is basically uh, what the show wants you to ask is if they are werewolves, if they are. Uh, controlling wolves, something like that. But uh, we'll find out more uh, either this season or next season at this stage because we've only got two more episodes left. Uh, thanks for your, for your email at episode five, Victor. Uh, Victor also shared his thoughts on episode six. Yes, Victor for episode six says, Greetings, wheelies. This series becomes more captivating with each episode. I'm mm-hmm. a big Rosamund Pike fan and she is killing it. The assembly in the Hall of the White Tower was most impressive. The banishment of Moraine calls back to the Klingon discommendation of Worf. 
I see Sophie Okanaido has come a long way since her appearance in Ace Ventura 2. Indeed, the contention between the Acidai factions reminds me of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the blue as S.H.I.E.L.D. and the red as Hydra. Mm. Moraine rivals Nick Fury when it comes to secrecy. Now we know why Lan ain't getting any from Moraine. Perhaps he should pursue Nynaeve's advances. Matt is certainly a problem child. Not surprised he stayed behind. Looking forward to more of this series and TVPI podcasts. Happy holidays and roll on wheelies, Victor Von Doom. Again, a big thank you, Victor. Yes, I remember her from Ace Ventura 2. And I do kind of like Ace Ventura. It is a little soft spot in my heart and uh pretty much anything that stars jim carrey you like and i'm not a big fan of (laughs) yes uh well you know he what is not to like i love the scene in ace ventura and tying into the the star trek stuff um that you mentioned as well victor where uh ace ventura does the impression of scotty in the drain swimming pool uh really really funny oh i think i've seen ace ventura 2 once about uh, what how many years ago to come out 30 years ago so i do not remember anything from that film at all i just about remember ace ventura 1 <laughs> um, but interesting uh, connection there that you've made victor to uh, agents of shield as well um yeah i can see that they're definitely the uh, ace and i definitely lining up uh, like Hydra, um, they're making they're making the right circle, I suppose, like Hydra would. Uh, certainly, in the comic books. <laughs> uh, as for whether um, Lan should wait around for uh, Moraine or not, or should he go after Nynaeve, there is a bigger connection between the two of them than um, him just waiting around to uh, to have a relationship with Moraine. You know, they they need to set up these kind of relationships on a show uh, when it's going to be going over multiple seasons. So, hey, that's uh, that's the way they they set these things up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I hope so. I hope he does um, because I I think that could be a blossoming couple. Yeah, uh, but I guess. Ultimately, what will get in the way there is the bond of uh, between him and Moraine, because yeah. that seems to be almost like a, a life promise or something yeah. like that. So it's yes. more than a relationship, yeah, exactly, uh, more than a, a friendship or a, or a, a like symbiotic family. relationship. Yeah. So ultimately, if Nynaeve and Lan do, they also get. Moraine in on the bargain maybe, as well. Maybe. <laughs> Thanks, Victor. Uh, our next email comes in from Coffee and Vodka, who shared his thoughts on episode six. He says, Greetings, shunned travellers. Six episodes of Necessary Precursor Down, two episodes of Adventure to Come. This one full of all the tangible intangibles. Love, regret, sacrifice, healing, courage, and finally fear. Not sure how they'll manage to Captain Planet their way to victory at four-fifths capacity if they are all parts of a whole, but an excellent element to the tension. Finally, loved the look on Leandrin's face as she realised Moraine had, in the end, called all the shots. Looking forward to the conversation. Five doormats out of five. Peace and take care. Coffee and vodka. Oh, poor Matt. <laughs> Standing <laughs> outside the door. That doesn't yes, make him a doormat. He does. Good job. Excellent stuff, coffee and vodka. <laughs> My goodness. Um, really good stuff. I think you really summed up uh, episode six uh, incredibly well here. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm with you there on uh, Leandrin's face uh, as well. I uh, love that scene. Um, seeing her sort of, uh, well, at least 
all, all the interactions between Leandrin and, and Moraine just feel so manipulative. And then seeing that all the shots were called by Moraine um, and also that Moraine knows her own particular little secret uh, tucked away in, in a far off uh, town mm-hmm. uh, was just really, really cool. Yeah, it was a real kind of um, hand-to-face shut-up <laughs> yeah, as she walks exactly. by, like, you know, you have no hold over me anymore, uh, to Leandro. Uh, very cool. Thanks, Coffee Vodka. Let's head on over to Facebook to get some Facebook feedback. Uh, first up, Doug Green says, I wasn't expecting the exile scene to be that heartbreaking. Everyone turning their backs on Moraine was hard to watch. Yeah. You know, we didn't really mention it in the discussion of the episode, but it is a beautifully shot scene. I love yeah. just the ceremony of it, as if, you know, they, they learn this as part of their training when someone is kicked out of the order. Everybody must turn their back on them and shun them and never speaks to them again i just think it's a a, a really beautifully shot scene but really affecting like it's really effective yeah. as well yeah absolutely yeah thanks doug yeah thanks doug uh dr bob phillips says eek matt is lost and the ogre is found and the bond has been loosed and it turns out leandrin has a fancy man and those were just the extras <laughs> what a set of unexpected turns and twists mm-hmm. and the oath not to return until called by her love was everything I'd come to expect of the Lady Moraine. Politician and perfectly poised. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um and I think to Doug's point as well, just that whole um exile and banishment scene was incredibly dignified and heart-wrenching at the same time. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks, Dr. Bob. Thanks, Bob. Deanna Brian Maskell says, loved this episode so much. Five Aesodai Oath Rods out of five. What a powerful story continues to unfold. The cold open was amazing. So rich and layered and a great introduction to the Amelin seat. This whole episode drew me into Suan's story. Such rich detail from childhood to her relationship with Moraine to her encounter with Loghain to Moraine's banishment. Have to give so much credit to the casting for this show. Love the diversity of representation, but the acting talent is over the top. Too many great moments, both big and small, to call them all out. Take that, doubters. The cinematography is just wonderful. Some truly gorgeous shots I'd love to own as artwork. Every damned episode. Still thinking about this line and how much Jordan's world echoes our own. Our laws don't exist to protect our lives, our comforts. They exist to protect our people from us. If only our own leaders and protectors followed such a rule. Leandrin is such a snake. Every time I think I can't hate her more, she hands someone her beer. (laughs) (laughs) The final scenes from Banishment to Matt's Choice were just epic in an episode already over full of emotion and surprises. Moraine playing a deep and dangerous game, masking Bond, and taking our core group through the ways on a dangerous mission. Yes, indeed. Thanks, Deanna. Thank you so much, Deanna. Mm. Uh, I... totally agree with you uh, on all of this um and i think you're right take that doubters i think um it's just so beautifully shot isn't acted um the detail um just the use and choices um of the cast and um behind the camera as to what they're doing are are really really good um yeah like up to episode six we've been watching them with screeners that we get and so we're watching them on uh, a a computer monitor effectively and then it comes out on friday on amazon prime so we get to watch it in 4k before we do this feedback section effectively and it just looks so beautiful you mentioned diana that opening scene the uh the opening moments with um suan that 
as the camera pans into their home, it is absolutely yeah. beautiful. Just stunning locations and beautifully shot. But the other thing as well is you have this location of her of her home mm-hmm. next to the river in this very this wooded but deep canyon yeah. with the river. And you know, the shot along there and in the background is the spire of a city. Mm. Of a you know, a close by city. Yeah. And it's just that little touch of detail really really good yeah gorgeous gorgeous yeah. um show uh, every penny that they spent on it is clear on the screen thank you so much diana um also jamie lawson says evil enchanted weapon is never a good thing that's true last week we saw a klingon funeral this week a klingon discommendation ceremony yes we are Going boldly where no one has gone before. Yeah, it's a really interesting point that both Jamie and uh, Victor Valdu both picked up the fact that this is uh, similar to Worf's banishment from the Klingon Empire in Star Trek. I yeah. think it was in Next Generation. Uh, it might have been DS9. I can't remember which show uh, he got banished on, but I think it might have been uh, Next Generation. Uh, but that's really interesting that both of them picked up on that. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't pick up No, I didn't either. Uh, I just thought it was a beautifully shot scene um, here in this show. Uh, but really interesting. I haven't seen that in, in a couple of years. Uh, it might be good to go back and look at that. Thanks, yeah. Jamie. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Oh, and Jamie also mentioning uh, that's, his, uh, that's his D&D connection for this week. An evil enchanted weapon is never a good thing in D&D and not here in uh, Wheel of Time either. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. We have a final piece of feedback from Steve Brown. He sent a voicemail in about this episode. Um, he did send a note along with it saying he, he said he loved the end of the episode. Looking forward to the rest of the series. Uh, let's hear what he has to say about episode six. Hey, TV podcast industries. This is Steve and I, it's Thursday night here in the States, but Wheel of Time, uh, the next episode, it's out and available. So I'm going to watch it. Uh, the Flame of Tar Valon. Yeah. Oh, this is a flashback to Nanave as a child. Um, oh, is she going to give her father a hand? So she unraveled the knots. She didn't give him a hand. Uh, the Flame of Tarvalon. She just said the name of the episode. Mic drop. Oh, okay. That wasn't Nanave. That was this, um, whoever they call the, the high ice Sedai. So that's because she's got the tattoos on her chest. Ooh, more powerful than even you, mother. Ew, that's a dig. Oh, so she recognizes that the dagger came from the shadow town city thing. So Rand could see the darkness she was pulling out of Matt. Hmm. Okay, so Perrin and Ingwin, is that her name? Have made it to the tower and Mo- the blue Aes Sedai is not telling her that the others are already here. Oh, and the plot thickens, so Moraine and the Amarin seat, is that how you say it? The head Aes Sedai are in a relationship? Hmm. Again, we have this mention of the Dark One, which uh, we still don't know who that is, right? Oh, this red Leandra, she's a snake. <laughs> That's kind of funny. The sun change, what's her name? Waits for only one woman, and it's not you. And Moraine knows that she's the woman. This oath, wow, and she's saying the same words back that uh, Swan Sedai's father said to her. Oh, it's just heartbreaking. Oh. Thanks so much for your thoughts there, Steve. Uh, that's interesting, actually. I didn't realize that um, that uh, Moraine says the same words back to Suan that uh, her father said to her. I think I recognize that there were elements from what her father said as she went off to Tarvalon right. as a kid. Um, with this 
speech from Moraine back to um, the Amelin seat. So I, I, I definitely recognize that there were similarities, but, um, yeah, that's a really good spot that it's, it's repeating those words back to her, that yeah. meaning, uh, sort of built up I- in this whole thing. And isn't that what's quite nice about this scene is that it is so public, this public exile and banishment, mm-hmm. yet there's an intimacy between Moraine and the Amelin seat, Absolutely. Swan, um, uh, whilst it's going on, yeah. uh, which is really, really nice. And do you know what um, I love as well about Steve's uh, live steving as well is that as he goes through the episode, you can tell that the episode is clarifying points that he may have had at the beginning of yeah. the episode. I love that because well, uh, that's exactly it. This show is quite complex. So when you're watching it, you think one, you think something is going to happen and then uh, it changes it on its head a couple of seconds later. You know, Absolutely. Kind of I, because I'm totally with Steve in that I thought it was a flashback to Nynaeve as well yes at the um, start, at yeah. the start until yeah. you then you see the the tattoos and mm-hmm. um, on on the amelin seat and you realize and um, it's the amelin seat exactly and um, so definitely yeah Good way to build out the world. Oh, and also just to mention, Steve, uh, just so you know, um, the show comes out at 12 p.m. Uh, Greenwich Mean Time, UK time, effectively every week. So I think that means in the US it comes out about 8 p.m. at the earliest. I think there's some on Thursday, uh, on Thursday then. nights. Yeah. yeah, there's some uh, places in the US that are five, four or five hours behind um, the UK, so they get it really early. It might even be 7 p.m. on the East Coast, actually. Um, but check it out. Yeah, it comes out on on Thursdays in the US, uh, despite the advertising. So, <laughs> uh, so you get to see a little bit early. Yeah. Thanks so much for the feedback, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Hopefully we'll hear from you next week about the penultimate episode of the season. Yes, and thank you, fellow wheelies, for all uh, your feedback for this episode. Great stuff. Keep it coming in. Again, you can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. You can also go over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. You can find us on Twitter at tvpodindustries or on Instagram at tvpodcastindustries. Uh, We'd love to hear your thoughts as the show comes uh, to an end in a couple of weeks' time. We will be back with episode seven of The Wheel of Time, The Dark Along the Ways, next week. Spooky. Uh, This episode is the last of the six episodes we were given for review from uh, Amazon Prime. Our podcast was being released on Saturdays, 5 p.m. GMT. But from next week, we'll have to watch it on Friday, record on Friday night, and hopefully, crossing fingers, I'll still be able to get the episode out at 5 p.m. at GMT. But uh, if it is delayed, that's the reason. It's only for those last two episodes. It will be dark along the ways of podcast editing, Uh, it sounds. It certainly will. It certainly will. I may not get any sleep on Friday night. but (laughs) It's okay. You don't need sleep. It's fine. It's fine. But episode eight does come out on Christmas Eve, so I can't commit to getting uh, that podcast out on Christmas Day. Uh, We will be delayed with our final podcast, but that gives enough time for all of our fellow wheelies to get their um, feedback in for the entirety of season one when we do our final podcast on Wheel of Time episode eight. Yes, we'll we'll be taking a short hiatus, small break, for a wee celebration of the Yuletide, mistletoe-infused, uh, uh, rum-based, uh, everything else, uh, holiday-based. We'll be taking a small, well-deserved break. And, of course, we will also be covering uh, Marvel's Hawkeye for the last two weeks. Uh, yes. Going into the closing of the year. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again next time. See you soon, folks. Yes, thank you so much, fellow wheelies, for joining us. Remember, there are no beginnings or endings, but this is the end of the podcast. And what only matters is what you do now. Uh, remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep wheeling. 
Bye. Bye. Bye.